Open your Bibles, please, to Daniel chapter 1. Today's message is the first in our summer series entitled, When Kingdoms Clash. When Kingdoms Clash. And today we'll be looking at the life of Daniel. Daniel thrived in a culture that presented several difficult challenges to his faith. And throughout this series, we will answer the question, how can we thrive as Christ followers in our own faith-challenging culture? I think we all would agree that we live in a faith-challenging culture. How can we thrive? As we will see in this series, Daniel did more than just survive in a godless, wicked, and evil culture. He thrived and was used mightily by God. As Christ followers, we live in a culture where there are clashing kingdoms. The kingdom of God clashing with the kingdom of men. The definition of clashing is contend, come into conflict, collide. Disagree, a battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul reminds the church in Ephesus, and it's reminded to us today, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Church, our fight is not with people. I want to say that here again today. Our fight is not with people, but demonic principalities and powers. They are real. They are alive and are at work in our world today, right here in this nation, right here in this community. These principalities, these demonic principalities and powers are at work. And that's who we're at war with 24-7. We're not at war with people. We're not at war with a certain political affiliation or party. We're not at war with a false religion. We're at war with demonic principalities and powers. Be careful that you don't get drawn into the deceptive propaganda spread through all forms of media. These demonic principalities and powers want you to believe the deceptive lies and draw you into the wrong fight. They sow seeds of discord, deep divide, out of control anger, hatred, violence, disrespect. In the devaluing of human life. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he writes in his second letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, though we walk in the flesh, pinch yourself, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. It's been said that the Bible could be termed a tale of two cities, 
Jerusalem and Babylon. And in this series, we're going we're gonna to learn about Babylon. Jerusalem is the historical capital of God's chosen nation, Israel, and the future capital of his eternal kingdom. He's coming again. And he's coming to establish his rule and reign on this earth, but the new earth that's to come. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more wars. There'll be no more death. Babylon, on the other hand, is the city the Bible uses as a recurring symbol for the world's evil, the world's cruelty, abuse of power, and especially rebellion against God. Babylon began as, as Babel, the city established by the ambitious Nimrod in his attempt to organize the first worldwide government in opposition to God. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Babylon is pictured in scripture as a source of ungodly and false religion, ungodly government, and ungodly economics. It was the armies of Babylon that conquered Jerusalem and that held the exiled Jews captive for 70 years in the city of Babylon, as we will see in our main scripture text today. It might seem that Babylon, the city of man, has been stronger than Jerusalem, the city of God, when we, when we read today's text. And yes, Jerusalem has been persecuted, but they've been persecuted for good reasons. Its persecution has been a form of discipline designed by God to prepare it for its future role in the world. The new heavens and the new earth. The new Jerusalem. Where Jesus will establish his rule and reign. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11. Now no chasing, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present. But painful nevertheless. Afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Like any good, good father, as we sang here this morning, we have a good, good father in heaven. And like any good father, our, our, our heavenly father, our father in heaven will discipline his children. Whether Jew or Gentile. He will discipline those that are his. Like any good father would. Amen? When necessary. And as we'll see in our text today, it was necessary. God's discipline was necessary. In fact, Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6 says, For my son, do not despise the chasing, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. The book of Revelation makes it clear that the history-long struggle between these two cities, between Jerusalem and Babylon, Jerusalem will be the ultimate victor. Amen? In Revelation 18.2, John is given a vision of Babylon's defeat. And John was one of um, the apostles of Christ. And in verse 2 we read, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen. 
According to Revelation 19.1, John sees all of heaven shouting, Hallelujah, shout salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. You see, Babylon wants all the glory. Babylon wants all the honor. Babylon wants all the power. But John here in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, towards the very end, in chapter 19, verse 1, God gives John, this revelation of all of heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. If you know Christ and you're following Christ, you're a follower of Christ, you're on the winning side. There's nothing to fear than fear itself. For the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound, sound mind. And that sound mind comes from the word of God that we talked about last week, that there's an absolute truth. And and God's word is so critically, critically important in how we need to bathe ourselves in his word. How we need to renew our minds on a daily basis with the word of God. Mom and dad, how we need to train up our children in God's perfect ways that we've sung about so beautifully here this morning. His ways are perfect. His word is proven. That's what our opening scripture declared. His word is proven. His word is proven. His way is perfect. We want our children from the youngest, from the youngest child, we want them to understand that God's ways are perfect. That his word is proven. God's word is so critically, critically important in this time that we are living in. We cannot diminish the importance of God's truth. Thank you again, Mama B, for for investing God's truth in our children. I think this is an appropriate time. I wasn't sure if... I'd have the opportunity to share this with you here today, but I I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit that this is a perfect time to share uh, this text message that Terry King, who works with our young people and who teaches Sunday school um, so faithfully to our junior and senior high school students. And he received this the other day. He received this text message, I believe it was um, Friday, And I have his permission to share it and the person who who sent it. I have both of their permission to share it if I felt that the Lord would have me do this. And Terry received this at a very discouraging moment in his life. He was asking God if he was really, really making a difference. And maybe he should talk with, with Pastor Bob about his role as a youth worker. And maybe he, he needs to maybe redirect his energies and focus in, in a whole totally different area. And he was just battling this the other day. And then this text comes. This text comes. It's no coincidence. Let me read it. This is from Jamie Morgan. So funny story. I just totally got super excited for Sunday school thinking it was Saturday. I was like, oh, I wonder if Terry put together a quiz. And if not, what are we going to learn? And then I looked at the date on my tablet and realized it was Friday. But despite how disappointed I was that tomorrow is not Sunday, 
I wanted to say thanks and to let you know how amazing of a teacher you are and thank you for all of the guidance you've given me growing up. To be honest, I actually wasn't a big fan of studying and I never really saw a need for it because, not to brag, but I retained information feasibly and quickly. But as a result, I never really did any learning for myself. I just listened to teachers and believed what they said. However, a couple years ago when I saw your passion for learning things for yourself and getting into the word of God was a real encouragement and good example for me. You inspire me to grow closer to God and stay strong in the faith. Thank you so much. As with lots of O's. I can honestly say that you have become another father figure in my life. You are a true reflection of our father in heaven. Love you, TK. Terry sharing this with me yesterday. And I said, Terry, you know this was not a coincidence. He goes, no, I know. God's word. Thank you, everyone who's teaching. Who's teaching in, in, in the various teaching ministries that we offer here. From, from the nursery all the way up to senior high to adult classes. Young adult Bible studies. The Chew. Can we give God just praise for the teaching gift that he's blessed his body with? You know, last Sunday in one of our Sunday school classes, there was just one person in, in one of the classes. And that one person ended up receiving Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior in the class. Isn't that awesome? Now, the rooms we use have more than one chair. And I want to encourage you, mom and dad, provide your children and your students the opportunity to hear the absolute truth of God's word. That will save their soul and keep them in the times that we live in, in the days that are before us. Because the evil and the wickedness that we see right now, it's just a beginning. I shared last week, a couple weeks ago, and the Lord impressed us so strongly in my heart to prepare the people that I have entrusted under your shepherd care for my second coming. Now, I don't know when his second coming is, But he spoke that to my heart. The series that we're going to start this Wednesday is part of that preparation. This series has been in the works and it's part of that preparation. In fact, studying for today's message has been a real challenge. I'm going to be honest with you, a very big challenge. I've shared with a couple folks. I could have just went away for three weeks by myself. Unplugged just for today's message. We need to hear God's word for today. Amen? And he's speaking to us through his word. And his word speaks to the present. 
It speaks to the past. It speaks to right now. It speaks to today. It speaks to the times that we're living in. And it speaks to tomorrow and to next week and next month. And we need to hear, thus saith the Lord from this book, from the youngest to the oldest. Don't buy into the lies, young families, that it's too long of a day for your children. I hope my family is an example. My kids grew up here and they went through the various classes and they're okay. They're more than okay. They are doing really well and we give God the praise. And so many of you have deposited into their lives the eternal truths of God's word. And my wife and I are so indebted and so grateful and so thankful. Mama B, I saw my daughter standing right next to you holding your arm. And I know how many times you've been with my daughter and you've poured into her life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I know what you're pouring into her is the eternal truth of God's absolute truth. Amen, not what the world's truth is, but what God's truth is. Well, I wasn't planning on going in that direction. But he who has an ear, hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to his church today. Do you still believe that God speaks today? He does, and we need to hear his voice. Things are just really ratcheting up. We live in a broken, sinful world. Though Babylon fell more than five centuries before Christ, the spirit of Babylon survived. Though Babylon itself was destroyed, the spirit of Babylon lives. Babylon is the biblical metaphor for all that is wicked, all that is evil in the world today. After conquering Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar took a number of the holy items from God's temple and brought them back to Babylon to display them in the temple of his demonic God. It was a way of publicly mocking the God of Israel. In fact, in that day, to conquer a nation was also to conquer its God. And so Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he really already thought really big of himself. And so I'm sure he even elevated his bigness in his own mind and heart because he just defeated, he just overtook the capital of the city of God. And when, when another nation defeated another nation, you defeated their God. And so for Nebuchadnezzar, he defeated the God of the Israelites. <sighs> I'm the king. Now, I'm, I'm the top dog. I'm all powerful. No one has more power than I do. He built a 90-foot golden statue as a tribute to his personal power and fame. Little vain? A lot of vain. A lot of pride. He demanded that everyone bow down and worship it, and those who didn't were met with certain death. And Babylon was also known for its demonic influence. The state-sponsored religion was satanic, demonic. And the core curriculum in the schools of higher learning included a large dose of astrology in the occult. And Babylon was fiercely hostile to the spiritual values of, of Daniel and his three Hebrew friends that were taken captive along with him. Church, we are living in a time marked by the spirit of Babylon. 
And we know from biblical prophecy that this force will continue to rise until it dominates the entire world. What we're seeing is only the beginning. And I don't share that to to, to put fear in you. It's the truth. We see it throughout prophetic scripture. We see it throughout the word of God. This is only the beginning. This is a warm-up act. You don't think you can get any more wicked and evil. You're deceiving yourself. We haven't even begun to see how evil and wicked things are going to become. Nowhere in the Bible do we get a clearer picture of the nature of Babylon than in the book of Daniel. The book bears the name of its author. He was one of the captives forced from his homeland who was taken to Babylon when King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem. Taken captive with, with Daniel were three godly friends named Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Something very important to not overlook in this story And today I'm just really laying the foundation, the introduction in the groundwork. But there's something very important not to overlook in this story. Daniel and his three godly friends did not prevent the fall of Judah, of Jerusalem being overthrown by Babylon. That wasn't their purpose. You know, I was really down in the dumps. Friday. You ever get down in the dumps? Whatever that means. It's a phrase we use, but I'm sure it came from somewhere. But I was feeling the blues. You ever feel the blues? With everything that's going on in the world, I was feeling it. And just talking to to the Lord and saying, God, how can I stop the fall. How can I prevent America from falling any further? I'm sure I'm not alone here today. I'm sure many of us have had that same conversation with God, just really feeling the blues. And the Lord began to minister to me about Daniel and his three Hebrew friends. They were God-fearing. They were godly. And by the way, They were anywhere between the age of 14 and and 16 years old. Some Bible scholars believe they were, Daniel was 14. Some believe he's 16. So I'll just play it safe and say he's anywhere between 14 and 16. Young people, young people. It's always a blessing to see young people serving the Lord. What a blessing to be around God-fearing young people. What a blessing. And we have many of those in our church family. And I am so grateful and so thankful. Let's give God a hand of praise for our young people. But the Lord began to minister to me that Daniel and his three godly friends did not prevent the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon, that it wasn't their purpose. God had a different plan, and he knows what he's doing, by the way. He knows what he's doing. We have to be careful in our praying that we don't, we don't give God a strategic plan in our praying. He doesn't need our strategic plan in our praying. Well, God, if you, if you, if you, one, two, three, four... 
We do that. Well, I do. And then I have to catch myself. And usually I get rebuked from my good, good father in heaven. God had a different plan. And when we consider all that is happening in our country, every day we are moving further and further away from the Lord. Would we all agree here this morning? And honestly, it gets very discouraging as I just shared. And you wonder, Lord, how can I stop America from its rapid spiritual decline? And the answer that I just sensed the Lord spoke to my heart early yesterday morning is there's nothing. Well, that discouraged me even more. But the Lord said, it's not your purpose to stop it. It's not the church's purpose to stop it. But there's times, I have to be honest, where I've made it my personal mission to stop it. The nations of the world have been seduced by the spirit of Babylon, including America. And the day will come when this spirit is destroyed along with all the nations governed by its rule, including America. America is is ruled and controlled by the spirit of Babylon. And one day, the spirit of Babylon is going to be crushed and destroyed. And all the nations governed and ruled by it will be destroyed. It's not my strategy. It's not my plan. It's God's strategy. It's his plan. And I can't. Can't stop God's plan. I cannot stop God's strategy. And neither can the church. Oh, but we have a critical, critical purpose in this whole narrative. And it's in this series, I pray and trust that that God's purpose laid out in the Holy Scripture, God's absolute truth will become so clear to you and me and would just re-energize us, that we would recommit ourselves once again to our faith as when we first heard the gospel message. And come to the spot where the glory comes out, where we can have a fresh outpouring of God's spirit and fill us, infuse us, empower us in this dark, evil, wicked hour the church lives in. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And just like he had a purpose for Daniel and his three Hebrew friends, he has one for us. Amen. I'm going to ask my wife if she would please read today's text. Verses 1 through 8. I love my wife of my youth. What are you laughing about? The reading of God's word from Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand 
with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the, of the treasure of the house of his God. And the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Thank you, Han. Daniel starts his book by emphasizing that Babylon's victory over Jerusalem wasn't a tragic triumph of evil over good. It was the Lord's doing. From Daniel's perspective, it was God who gave Babylon the victory. That's hard to get our brain around. It was God who turned the holy things in, in, in the temple over to Nebuchadnezzar. It was God who allowed them to be placed in the house of a pagan god. And it was God who allowed Nebuchadnezzar to get away with mocking the God of Israel as an inferior and defeated foe. And so it's important that we don't miss this from the first page to the last. Daniel clearly saw God's hand in everything that happened. Perspective, right perspective is so critically important in the times that we live in. Personally, for me, there is no way to make sense of Daniel's response to the wickedness that surrounded him without understanding his deep trust in the sovereignty of the Lord. You see, the sovereignty of God means that he has total control of all things, past, present, and future. Nothing happens that is out of his knowledge and control. God's control was the lens through which Daniel viewed everything that happened to him and to his nation. And it's the first thing that he wants us to know before he dives into the rest of his story. And please know that I'm not saying, and Daniel isn't implying, that God's ultimate control of people and nations turns us into puppets on a string. We have freedom, a lot of it. Too much of it? Well, it's being chipped away. We can choose to live within God's will or outside of God's will. Our choices really do matter. They determine outcomes. We alone are responsible for our actions. We're not puppets on a string. We can't blame, we can't blame them on God or, or anyone else. You see, God's sovereign control simply means that in the bigger scheme of things, in the bigger scheme, in the bigger picture, there are no accidents. 
there's no accidents. His plan will not be derailed or prevented. I can't stop it. There's nothing that I can do to derail it and to stop it. It's been set in motion long before I was born. Long before you were born. Long before this church was planted. Perspective. Right perspective. Proper perspective. Biblical perspective is what we need. Biblical truth perspective is what we need. Man, you're quiet. At the end of the day, everything will be found to have worked together for the good of his people and the glory of his name. And Daniel had that perspective. How did he get that perspective at the age of 14 or 15 or 16? Godly parents took time to teach him the first five books of the Bible. His parents had to take Deuteronomy chapter 6 really seriously. Talk about the word when you rise up. Put it on the doorpost of your home. When you lie down and everywhere in between. Because he had a biblical perspective. At the age of 14, at the age of 15, at the age of 16. Incredible. Even when the wicked seem to prevail, God is at work. That's biblical perspective. I want to call it biblical truth perspective. His kingdom will come. His will will be done. There's nothing that we can do to stop God's plan, but there's something we can do. We can pray like Jesus taught us to pray. And Joe and I were talking about that this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we're going to let God work out all the details to that. Not what we think it should look like or how it should come. But we're going to pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God knows how to work it out without me giving him a strategy. For Daniel, God's sovereign control over men and nations factored into every equation. I think of Psalm 75.7 in preparation. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Romans 13.1 says, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Isaiah 66.1 says, Thus says the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Who's in control? Who's sovereign? No matter what happened, he, he never forgot that his God was far bigger than Babylon. Far bigger than Babylon. Daniel had what I call God perspective. Or Bible truth perspective. And our children are not going to have Bible truth perspective. If we don't give them 
a disciplined diet of God's word consistently. And I don't share that to put any of us on a guilt trip, myself included, but to encourage us and to inspire us to renew our thinking and how critically important God's absolute truth is to the spiritual formation of every heart and mind, of every child, of every middle school student and high school student and young adults. 30-something, 40-something, 50-something, 60-something, 70, 80, and yes, we have 90-something in our church family. And he's with us. I had a look. He saw everything through the lens of the sovereignty of God. You know, when, when studying the Bible, whether it's one verse or a whole passage, it's important to ask questions. I do. If you see my desk when I'm studying, I got pad and I still do things the old-fashioned way. I, I just like to have a, a legal pad and a pen. I got a, I got a yellow marker. I got a red pen and I got a, I got a black pen. And, and they all have a certain purpose in my study. Habits. One of the things I like to do is ask questions. The passage, the text. I like to ask questions. Why? A good question for us to ask is, why did God give Jerusalem over? Why did God give Jerusalem? I think it's a great question to ask, according to our text here today, verses 1 through 8. You see, the covenant God had made with his people was violated. God had made a covenant with his people. The covenant, the promise that God gave through Moses was a conditional promise. An if-then covenant. You know, in English, you've heard of the if-then statement. Thank you. If Israel walked in God's ways, then God would bless the nation. And if Israel abandoned God's ways, then God would curse the nation. The blessings for obedience are outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14. And the consequences for disobedience are laid out in verses 15 through 68. While the nation of Israel demonstrated brief periods of faithfulness and blessing, its overall history, when you study the history of God's people, its overall history was one of spiritual decline and a need for God's discipline. Now you think they would learn, but we're no different, are we? The book of Judges gives us the most appalling evidences of this downward um, spiral spiritually telling of one rebellion against God after another rebellion against. You're not going to win at the end. You're not going to win. When kings began to rule over Israel, more of them were wicked than righteous. Many of them worshiping idols instead of the one true God. And so as a severe act of judgment, God splits up Israel into the northern and southern kingdoms. The northern kingdom took on the name Israel, while the southern kingdom took on the name Judah and retained Jerusalem as its capital and religious center. And all this background is important as we establish the foundation for this summer preaching series, When Kingdoms Clash. 
The northern kingdom of Israel was led by a wicked king and fell to new lows when they set up pagan altars at opposite ends of the kingdom to make idol worship accessible to all the people. I experienced this firsthand. In fact, everyone that was with me just a a month or so ago in in Nicaragua, the president's wife um, is a witch. And they've made accessible throughout the country Devil worship. You feel the the oppression. As a result, the northern kingdom descended rapidly and was overthrown by the Assyrians, never to be heard of again. And now you would have thought that the destruction of the northern kingdom should have been a sufficient wake-up call to the southern kingdom of Judah to seriously rededicate themselves to God. But sadly, the impact of the disaster wore off. But we're no different. I think of 9-11 when I was, when I was studying this week. And we didn't even have to advertise that the building would be open that night for prayer. And people came from all over hoping that the church was open. People who don't even attend here were coming and asking if they could come into the sanctuary. Remember how we prayed as a nation? But the impact of 9-11 wore off. And we slipped right back into our old destructive ways. And that was the case here. The people of Judah fell into the same downward spiral spiritually that doomed the northern kingdom. And God in his grace, God in his mercy sends prophets. A prophet is someone that God gives a message to come and to speak to his people. The prophets of God continued to sound warnings. They prophesied coming judgment if the people continued to rebel. And one of these prophets was Isaiah, um, who gave the people this message from the Lord. It's found in Isaiah chapter 39, verses 6 and 7. And this is the message from God through his prophet to Judah. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house... And what your followers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. God's prophetic warnings went unheeded until finally, a little over a century, think about this, you talk about a long-suffering God, a a, a patient God, a good, good father. A little over a century after the fall of the northern kingdom, God's judgment fell hard on the southern kingdom. And Daniel 1-2 says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Into his hand. God allowed it. It was God's doing. The scripture says, and the Lord gave. He has a plan. He has a plan right now. Right now, today. He has a plan. And he has his church in the thick of it. But he has a great plan. And it's in this series that I pray that we will 
rediscover God's plan, God's purpose for us. It's not to stop his plan. It's not to stop his plan. But he has an amazing purpose for us. I encourage you to invite every single person that you can think of to come this summer to hear this series. I'm praying and believing for God to do great things starting right here in this heart and then in every one of our hearts. Amen. We live in a broken, fallen, wicked, evil world. But there is a positive in the midst of all the evil. Jesus says, I'm building my church. Are you a part of his church? That's a positive. That's a positive. He says, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. And we're going to discover as we continue to study the book of Daniel, that's exactly what Daniel and his three friends were. They were a light to Babylon. And their good works were seen. And their father in heaven was glorified. You see, Daniel and his three Hebrew friends did more than just survive from day to day. They thrived in Babylon and you and I can too. All for the glory of God. Would you join me standing? I don't know where the worship team is. Here they are. Oh, I hope you've been edified here this morning. I just sense the spirit of God. My goodness, I just feel like I've been doing battle all week. Because when you begin to... We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare in this series. The spirit of Babylon is alive and working. It's a seducing demonic spirit and we see right here in the book of Daniel how this seducing demonic spirit we we, we see its strategy how it works and sadly and what has troubled me deeply and troubled me deeply um, Friday and early in the morning on Saturday as you see this demonic seducing spirit not just at work in the world but in the church that wears the banner of Jesus Christ 